The Classic Comics Forum Podcast presents issue number nine, Captain America by Steve Englehart, part two. Welcome back to the Classic Comics Forum podcast. I'm your host, Scott Harris. And in this episode, we present part two of my discussion with the captain about Steve Englehart's legendary run on Captain America from issues 153 to 186. In the first episode, we discussed issues 153 to 168. So in this episode, we get to the real heart of his run, the Secret Empire storyline from number 169 to 175 and the Man Without a Country storyline from issues 176 to 186. So without further ado, we're going to jump right into the action, starting with the beginning of the Secret Empire storyline in Captain America number 169. Enjoy. Back and ready to discuss the Secret Empire storyline. Arguably the most famous storyline in, in Captain America history. Starts with issue 169 and runs through issue 175. 169, right off the bat, we, we start... Things happen. You know, Unlike the last several issues where nothing was happening, really, uh, in, with all this Yellow Claw nonsense. Here we get um, stuff going on right away where the Falcon has decided if he's going to still be Captain America's partner, he needs to get his own powers. So he Cap sets him up with the Black Panther and they go off to figure out some way to do this. Meanwhile, the ad campaign storyline that's been burbling since issue 163 comes to a head. There's a thing called CRAP, the Committee to Regain America's Principles. Um, and of course, that is a play on Creep, which was the committee to reelect the president, the organization that was behind Watergate. So, in this issue, basically, Moonstone, this new villain, Moonstone, shows up, and as part of uh, the storyline leading into 170 as well, um, they basically have this elaborate scheme to discredit Cap by kind of framing him for murder where Moonstone actually kills a guy but it looks like Captain America did it because he lost control of his super strength. Yeah, they uh it's interesting that they bring back uh, the Tumbler who I don't think we've seen since uh, Tales of Suspense um kind of as this um, villain who gets into a fight with Steve and then wanders off Steve runs into him again later on at this charity event. Um, I believe that they were going to uh, was they were going to fight for charity or, or something along those lines, and then Steve basically like touches him and he falls over and dies. Uh, it's a little bit more involved than him just touching him, but it appears to your point as as Steve has gone ahead and killed someone in this rage of anger. Um, which plays entirely into the ads campaign, the ad campaign where um, he's a vigilante who has no controls, no oversight, does what he wants, whatever he wants. And here he is taking out this poor man who may be a criminal, may be a, a villain, but, you know, does this cap have the right to pass judgment and sentence on him? Right. So cap ends up in jail and in issue 170, the end of issue 170, there's a jailbreak. And a group of people claiming to be Cap's, you know, helpers or followers or whatever are here to break him out of jail so we can clear his name. And he's like, I don't want to be broken out of jail, you know, there's due process. Like, do I, he's sort of on the dilemma for a little bit, but he decides to stay and they basically just clock him and drag him along because um, it's all part of the scheme to, to make him look bad. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 interesting that that he, uh, you know, even though he's being portrayed you know, as this guy who will do anything and has no rules and no code, and he's just off doing his, his own thing. It's like he's got the perfect opportunity to leave, and he decides, you know what? I'm still the good guy. I'm still the the, the, the same person I've always been, despite what these 
these ads are saying about me. And yeah, he's, you know, I'm just going to stay here. I'm not, I'm not going to run. And yeah, the, the, the followers decide, well, we'll just take you and yeah, they drag them off. Now, in 171, Falcon returns. He, he had his own little thing going on over in Africa, whereas where Layla got kidnapped by this guy, whatever. The, that was kind of a sidelight that didn't mean anything, in my opinion. So, important part is Falcon comes back. He's got his new nifty wings where he can sort of fly now. And the Avengers basically tell him, you know, Cap's on the run, and we need you to bring him in because um, it's just looking bad, you know? And so he tracks down Cap, and but of course he's on Cap's side. Um, one thing I wanted to mention about these issues is that um, these were actually scripted not by Engelhart at all, but by Mike Friedrich uh, over Engelhart plots. I think considering what a classic and famous storyline this is, I had completely forgotten that Mike Friedrich had anything to do with it. I'm not usually a fan of Mike Friedrich's work. So I, I think he probably doesn't get as much recognition as he should for his contributions to the storyline. Oh, agreed. It, it's always it's always Engelhart's secret empire story. It, it, you, know, you just kind of forget that he was part of you know, Friedrich was part of it as well. Um, I've never read anything of his that I was terribly impressed with. Um, but, you know, going back to this and realizing, yeah, he was part of this, um, you know, at least I can give him credit for his contribution to the storyline. So by the end of this issue, you know, we've started getting into the Secret Empire stuff. Cap and Falcon are on the run. And they realize there's this conspiracy. They don't know who to trust, but they're going to track down, you know, the people in charge. And in 172, that leads them to go to Nashville. And I gotta be honest, for me, this storyline takes a sudden right turn here where they just completely randomly run into Banshee on a street corner and he attacks them and then the X-Men show up. And now this is during the period where the X-Men were between, is after their title been canceled and before it relaunched. So they were sort of uh, out and in the middle of nowhere. But anyway, this to me seemed really random um, and just not nearly as well thought out as the previous stuff. We had a lot of like intrigue and, you know, political, you know, stuff going on with the, with him being framed by the ad campaign. And now all of a sudden it's like these like full page splashes of Banshee fighting Cyclops. And I think the reason is explained actually in the letter column of the next issue where Engelhart says that he had a much longer and more involved storyline planned here, but the events of Watergate have kind of made him feel like uh, the rugs been pulled out from under him because the points he was trying to make are no longer, they've already been made by reality. So he has decided to just wrap up this storyline as fast as he can so he can move on to something else. And... That's something that I wasn't really aware of previously, but it, I think it's it's really noticeable in starting in issue 172 about halfway through the issue when Banshee shows up. And for the rest of the Secret Empire storyline, all the way up to 175, um, I get the impression that he's just trying to finish this off so we can get to the next part. Yeah, you know, I, I was as I was rereading this, I was taking some notes, and you know, the, the way that, that Steve and Sam figure out the head to Nashville is so convoluted. And it's like, you know, you're really, you're really squinting at it to, to try to have it make any sense. And yeah, then they get there and, and why is Banshee in Nashville? I mean, you know, it, that doesn't make any sense. And then the X-Men are after Banshee and then they team up with them and they think, well, this is the same group um, that's trying to destroy him. He's trying to destroy us. Well, what makes you think that? Um, it just—it was throwing this piece into it, um, and again, it's one of those things where you, you would have liked to have seen what they could have done if he'd had the, the full amount of time to let this thing bake. Instead, you know, he just kind of turned up the turned up the oven to get it to cook through a little faster, and you wind up with something that isn't exactly quite right. Yeah, this storyline. As classic as it is considered now, and we'll get into this a little more later, I feel like the real classic parts of this are not in the Secret Empire storyline at all. They're in the Man Without a Country storyline that follows. 
and that the importance of those issues has sort of reverse trickled down onto the Secret Empire story because the Secret Empire story starts great. The first three issues with Moonstone and Viper and stuff are in the ad campaigns, I mean, are, are really good and really interesting. But the rest of these issues, 172, 173, 174, 175, they just do not live up to the hype. They don't live up to their own potential. You can feel Englehart trying to get to the point so he can do something more interesting in his mind. And I wonder what he originally had planned. Part of me thinks he's wrong. Like, if he had done his original story, just reading the first, like, three parts... I think it could have been just as powerful, even with Watergate overshadowing it. It Whatever it was, it certainly would have been better done than what we end up getting in these issues. Yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those things where I think that you, you, you really look at it in, in retrospect, and you don't get the Man Without a Country storyline unless you've got this, and so from association this seems better well this is what led into that and i think the other piece that why this storyline gets the acclaim it does is because you know Engelhart himself has said that when he turned in issue 175 and and the the higher-ups of marvel asked him you know "Do, do you mean this to be richard nixon and and he told them no um, and then later on, he's flat out admitted, you know, I told them that because they wouldn't have published it otherwise. Um, and so he tells them no, they publish it, and afterwards he's like, yeah, that was Richard Nixon. And, and I think it was because he took such a, a, a public shot at the, the president in what was considered, I mean, let's face it, comic books in the early 70s were still a, a medium for kids. This was not, you know, the, the comic books of today where there are more adults free than the children. This was a, a serious storyline for a thing aimed at at least teens, if not children, uh, which is why I think that it gets more acclaim than it really should. Yeah, so I think we're going to follow Engelhart's lead and sort of wrap up the rest of these as fast as we can so we can get to the good stuff. 173, 174, 175, they team up with the X-Men and Falcon and Cap go undercover into the Secret Empire. And there's a couple details here that really point out how shoddy Englehart was being, like he was, how slapdash he was being. Because it doesn't make a lick of sense where they go undercover, join the Secret Empire, and the Secret Empire sends them on a mission. And when they go on the mission, they do it in costume as Captain America and the Falcon. Like... That just seems so stupid that, uh, anyway, also there's, it turns out that the, the guy who like, um, they steal this device and from this building and this guy catches them, but then lets them go. And then the next issue, it turns out the reason he let them go is because he also was working for the secret empire. And there was a line in issue 174 that I thought was hilarious where the editor's had a note saying, don't you recognize Mr. Black from last issue, you know, to the readers? Yeah. Except he looks completely different because in the last issue he had a giant mustache and in this issue he doesn't. So there's no possible way from the art that the reader could ever figure out who the hell was supposed to be because they drew a completely different character. Uh, so again, that's just a, a detail where that seemed to just fall through the cracks. Like they were just pushing this out too fast and not paying attention to what they were doing. In 175, everything gets tied up together. The ad guy and Moonstone um, are being directed by number one, the leader of the Secret Empire, and they show up in Washington D.C. and um, they basically are pretending there's like. I forget if they're pretending there's an alien invasion or what, but um, the point is Moonstone pretends to fight off the Secret Empire's saucer ships, and he goes on board, he comes back out, and he's like, I'm sorry, America, you're just going to have to surrender. They have Their technology is too powerful. We're all going to die. Um, and then, But just then, Captain America shows up and reveals uh, the whole scheme and saves the day, and it turns out that 
number one in the Secret Empire is Richard Nixon, and he shoots himself in the head in the Oval Office, and that's the end of the series, the end of the storyline. And the last like three pages of the story are just synopsis. It was like there's like 15 pages worth of material that are just crammed into three pages because they just wanted to finish it. All like the final fight and the explanation and Moonstone like turning evidence and everything that happens just take place in like half a page. You know, it's just like super condensed. So yeah, a lot of flaw, a lot of really interesting ideas in this story. And as we're about to discuss, it's set up what is legitimately one of the greatest storylines in Captain America history. But as a story itself, if you just read 169 to 175, it's kind of a mess. There's some really good parts, and then there's some real head scratchers. Yeah, I, you know, a couple things in 175 that, that really bothered me as, as a reader. And again, maybe if I'd read this at the time it was coming out and I was more in that target audience, hadn't read you know, however many thousands of comic books I've read to this point. But, you know, we, we've got, you know, at the, the end of 174, everybody's shot with this atomic annihilator gun and we find out that you know well you know gabe jones has infiltrated the secret empire and, and okay i can go along with that you know that that kind of makes sense but he's brought someone else along with him and it's peggy carter and and he makes a comment that he brought her along as backup because there wasn't much danger okay you've got this woman who had suffered mental problems for years and was only within the last year of, of real time and issue time who knows how long it was and you bring her along on this mission where you're infiltrating this you know top secret organization and you're in charge of their guns and you just turn the dial down on the gun a little bit so it didn't kill people and it it was one of those things where you're reading it as an adult and you're thinking did they honestly think that this would pass muster if somebody looked at this critically? Because none of this makes any sense. And then the the piece that you'd mentioned with Moonstone, and it's like, okay, so he's telling them that everyone should lay down because these people are so tough. Moonstone, who the hell are you? You've been on the scene for like three minutes now, and you're telling America to lay down. And do you think that, I don't know, the Avengers might say something about it or, you know, Spider-Man or Thor or, or any of the other heroes that exist? We're going to take this no-name jabroni's word for it that we have to lay down our guns because here's the secret out. Here's these aliens who are just so powerful. It just, he threw so much at the wall in this issue, hoping that he could concoct enough pages to get to the end of it um and this this issue was really just a microcosm of everything from when they go to nashville and now is it's just a hot mess agreed so on the heels of that though we get issue 176 which for me is an absolutely fantastic issue and it, in a way it sort of justifies engelhardt's feelings that he wanted to just skip ahead to the good stuff because this issue is, is there's no action. It's all talk. It's just Steve and different people in his life talking about what happened and what he should, what Captain America means to people and whether he should stay Captain America, what he should do going forward. And it's almost like because of the current events that were happening at the time with Watergate, the subtext was so understood by the readers that it actually didn't need all the setup for people to understand it, which is good because it didn't get the setup. Um, I thought 176 though was a great issue. And, uh, I also found myself agreeing more with some of the people arguing with Steve than I did with Steve himself. Um, Iron Man in particular, I thought made a pretty compelling argument about why the superheroes were important, but Steve wasn't having it. He was just too disillusioned. Yeah, it's a, it's a powerful issue I mean, because you've got this character who has been defined by his, you know, his his association with the flag, and you know his his creation was the help of the war effort, and here he is, and he's reached the end. It, it, it 
is not the same for him anymore. And so for me, it's, it's one of these issues where you read it and you're just like, have I ever been that disillusioned with something in my life that I believed in so strongly and now I just, I just don't get it anymore. And then it, it was really, really well done. It, it's, it was such a, a nice shift from, from the, the mess that the last few issues were to, to get to this and have real meat where he's not punching anybody and he's not, you know, going undercover anywhere. It's just a conversation. Um, and sometimes it's just a conversation with himself. Um, but it, it, it's an incredibly powerful um, issue. Um, that uh, you know, it's uh, it, it's one of my favorites in the in the entire series. I would say probably at least top ten, if not top five. Yeah, it's a terrific issue, and the momentum is not lost because the next issue, one seventy seven, is also a great issue. Here we have another issue like one fifty four, where with Cap sort of out of the picture, the book is really all about Falcon now, and. Falcon ends up squaring off against Lucifer, not the, uh, you know, not Satan, but rather the alien from X-Men. Um, side note, I definitely get the idea that someone, I don't know if it was Roy or if it was Steve, had been reading a lot of X-Men back issues because this, between Lucifer and the actual X-Men showing up and then um, a group of X-Men villains that appeared several issues earlier... Um, there's a lot of like random X-Men characters showing up here. But this is a spotlight on the Falcon, and it's not just a spotlight in terms of the Falcon fighting alone. Lucifer ends up merging with the Falcon's arch-rival in Harlem, uh, Rafe. And this Rafe subplot has been going on through the entire Englehart series. It's about to be tied up in a really unusual way. Uh, because Lucifer ends up um, merging with him and splitting into two people. And so now there's two Lucifers, but they each only have half the power and blah, blah, blah. Uh, there's a great section in here where Lucifer's like blasting with these lasers and he says something to Falcon like, do you think you, you know, just a, a guy that can flap around can possibly stop my incredible power? And the Falcon looks at him with this look that's basically like really skeptical. And he says, well, I'm going to try. I loved that line. Like I just, for some reason, that line just seemed like a perfect Falcon line where he's like, he realizes he's completely overmatched and is probably going to lose. But you know what? He's going to give it a go anyway. He's going to try. He's got to try. Um, I just really dug that. And I also just appreciated that this issue is like, Steve is in it a little bit, but his soul searching is basically just the context to frame the Falcon's like real world issues. Falcon's got problems, you know, with his girlfriend, with his neighborhood, with supervillains. And meanwhile, Steve is just kind of moping around thinking about all these like high level existential problems. Yeah. And I think that the, the, the thought to keep Steve out of it, of course, plays in well for the next few issues because Sam is really learning what he can do on his own. I mean, he got a little taste of that um, earlier in Englehart's run, but here it's he's really jumped up in, in power level against you know an alien, um, which you know he's he's not used to fighting, and he's holding his own and he's trying, um, and it's uh, it, it's good to see kind of this this spotlight on him um, really working through what's going on in his life while Steve is you know there, there was no reason really to focus on Steve's soul searching because we got all of that last issue and I, I think if they I think if Engelhart had written more of that and more of the focus of this issue had been on that 176 would have really lost its impact it would, it would have been back to the old woe is me, Bucky's dead because of me. And it's really not here. It's, okay, we see where Steve's at, but we're going to move on because we actually have a superhero in this book still whose name is above the marquee um, in the Falcon. Yeah, I agree. I agree completely. 
And in 178, we get more Falcon fighting Lucifer. And it comes to an unusual conclusion where Lucifer basically burns himself out and drops dead. And so the two hosts that he has taken, which is Rafe and the guy that used to be Ares, they both die. Uh, Now they're just like the physical hosts, so Lucifer's spirit is just shunted back into whatever dimension he's from. But it's kind of an odd way for that you know, story to end where Falcon's like fighting these guys and they just, they just die. And it was also an interesting way to tie up the Rafe subplot that had been running for 30 issues, uh, where, you know, he merges with an alien and burns himself out and drops dead. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, I think kind of Engelhart had written himself into a corner here because Lucifer was on his own, even split, still way more powerful than, than Sam's going to handle. And you know, maybe going into the you know the two issues, he thought, yeah, you know, I, I can make this work. And then he realized, maybe I can't um, come up with a way for, for Sam to beat you know, an alien life force and, and as powerful as he was. And so I think, I, I felt kind of the ending was a cop-out um, and that Sam doesn't really win um, the other guy loses, and it's kind of it, it takes away from a little from what he kind of built in 177. Um, at the end of this, it's just yeah, the ending on it left me flat. There were some interesting bits in here. There's a part where Cap just can't help himself and jumps into action to help Falcon, and Falcon tells him to get stuffed. Um, we also get the introduction of Roscoe, a a uh, kid from the hood who works at the gym where Steve is working out. And Roscoe, of course, is going to become very important. And also in this issue, we get the first replacement cap. Where with Captain America gone, everyone's like, well, I'll be the new Captain America, you know? No one's filling this. And the first guy that does it is a baseball player, like a professional athlete. And on his first mission out, he basically mistimes a swing on a rope and crashes into a wall and breaks his arm. And that's it for him. We also finally get some movement on the Peggy subplot, which has been going on for 17 issues now, where Steve finally tells her that they can't be have a romance, and she runs off crying. So, a good job, I guess, Steve, for finally manning up. It only took a year and a half to do it. Um, so now we get on to 179, and 179 is a favorite issue of mine. Captain America is still, he's basically out, uh, with Sharon and they're sort of enjoying themselves and their new life of no responsibility. And suddenly this guy called the golden archer attacks them. And he's talking in on these like medieval riddles about how he's going to kill Captain America and blah, blah, blah. Long story short, it turns out that the golden archer is actually Hawkeye and he's trying to sort of make Cap see that, He's being an idiot. And Cap's like, well, I can't be Captain America anymore. And Hawkeye says, well, you don't have to be Captain America. You know, you could still be a superhero. You don't have to call yourself Captain America. Just just pick a new identity, you know. Hank Pym does it every other day. And uh, Cap's like, oh, I never thought of that. Okay, that's a great idea. One thing I really dig about this issue is that it's kind of like a key... A moment in the relationship between Cap and Hawkeye where, you know, they had in in the Cap's kooky quartet issues of Avengers, they'd started off as butting heads all the time and, and uh, you know, they're at each other's throats and Hawkeye didn't seem to have any respect for Cap. By this point, you know, they have a little talk here where it's like Hawkeye basically acknowledges that Cap was kind of like a father figure, took him under his wing, taught him the right way to do things, and now he's trying to, you know, pay it back. There's, like, mutual respect. I love the relationship between these two characters, and this is, like, a key issue sort of establishing that. Yeah, I mean, it, it starts out, and it just seems so goofy. It's like, who the hell is the Golden Archer? And it, what, what's the purpose? Where is this going? And, and as you get into it, and then you get the reveal at the end when it's Hawkeye, and you just think to yourself... Yeah, you look back, and again, we, you know, we who are you know, collectors and have long runs and have read so many issues, you know, then you can look back at other issues, at other pieces of their relationship and, and start to put that together and go, yeah, you know, if you look at it, 
you know, from this angle, yeah, this completely makes sense that, uh, that uh, Clint would do this for him. And, you know, it is kind of interesting that, you know, it never dawned on Steve, well, look, you've got this ability, um, you have these, these strength, you have these power, these powers, um, why don't you just not be Captain America anymore, but do something different? Um, you can still help people, you can still, um, you know, kind of, kind of do the, the superhero thing, just don't represent the country that you don't feel you can do anymore. Um, and, it, and it took, you know, Hawkeye to, to make him see that. So it's just kind of funny that you know, Steve, who always seems so level-headed, kind of completely missed that angle he could have taken. All right, so so Cap decides he's going to create a new super identity, and 180 is revealed as a new character called Nomad. There's a kind of a funny sequence where he's trying to figure out what to name his character, his new his new identity, and he's like trying to design the outfit, and he ends up designing a cape, um, an outfit with a cape on it. And then at the end of the issue, when he's fighting the new Serpent Squad, he steps on his own cape, and they get away. Uh, I thought that was hilarious. Yeah, it made, made me think of the uh, the movie The Incredibles. Um, every time I read that or see that, it's like you, you don't want a cape; it's just going to get in the way. And you know, you know, for for a serious book like this to have a moment like that, which yeah, it seems goofy, but honestly, it just makes sense. Here's a guy not used to working with a cape, and yeah, he's going to have a problem with it. So I, I like that touch. Definitely, uh, definitely enjoyed that. Uh, this is a really good issue. Basically, at the beginning, Madam Hydra shows up. We haven't seen her in a long time. And she shows up and murders the Viper. So our ad man guy, who's driven behind the scenes a lot of the action so far in the series, just like that, murdered in cold blood. And then she takes his name as the Viper reforms the Serpent Squad, lying to the original Viper's brother and saying that, that she was trying to save him and Viper got killed in like a prison break or something. And then basically goes on this mission where she's like the face of nihilism. She she doesn't have any of these other um, you know political agendas. She just wants to see the world burn, basically. And in order to do that, she's gotten involved with this effort by warlord krang of all people to find the serpent crown and resurrect the lost island of lemuria yeah i mean it, it's it's one of those things where you're like okay where did he come up with this i mean because you know krang is definitely not a, a captain america character but you bring him in here and, and, and you know viper brings in the new viper out of hydra brings in princess python um, which, you know, again, not a Captain America character, and just kind of wondering what was influencing Englehart at this point, um, and who was influencing Englehart at this point to kind of bring in these really disparate um, elements to the book at this at this uh, juncture, because it's uh, he's really going off in a kind of an odd direction um, with, with some of this. Not that it didn't work, it was just kind of something brand new, um, and it was welcome because he wasn't falling back on the same old, same old, but but really trying something um, out of the box. Yeah. Now this storyline is going to go for a couple issues. In 181, Nomad ends up teaming up with Namor to track down the Serpent Crown, stop Warlord Krang, and they do, but Viper and Cobra get away. This is kind of like an action-packed issue. There's not a whole lot going on subplot-wise, except key moment back in New York, Roscoe ends up donning the Captain America costume. He becomes the third replacement cap. And he, at this point, the Falcon decides to try and protect Roscoe, takes him under his wing a little bit. He's like, you know, this. he doesn't think for a minute that this is going to work, but he wants to make sure that Roscoe doesn't get his butt kicked like the previous two Captain America's. So he basically takes him on patrol to try and keep him alive. And that's going to, um, well, it's not going to work. Let's just say that. So skipping ahead to 182, here's where things got really interesting for me in terms of um, Viper and the Serpent Squad, where at this point, Viper 
is basically just on a suicide mission. She's just trying to blow up and kill everything she can. And Cobra's with her and he like, he doesn't want any part of this. He's just stuck, you know. He's realized that she's completely crazy and has some weird agenda that he had no, no idea about. But he he's, you know, in the middle of a firefight. He has no way out. And I read Steve Englehart on his website said that at this point, the whole point of Viper and the Serpent Squad was, it was his version of the Symbionese Liberation Army, uh, which was like this weird terrorist group in the early 70s. And he had this idea that he could use Captain America to address current events um, through analogs like the Serpent Squad, but he eventually decided that there was too big of a lag time in terms of the development of the book. You know, he's running four or five months behind and current events were just constantly going to outstrip what he was trying to do. So this, I think, was his sort of last effort to try and do that after the Watergate thing. Um, But I I found Madame Viper, like, she's such a different character compared to all the other supervillains because she's nuts. Like, she's trying to kill everybody. She doesn't care if she dies. She just wants everyone else to die too and all the other villains even are trying to get out of her way because she's berserk yeah you, you you know you've you know you're you're off the rails when the other bad guys are like look you're nuts i'm out of here um and I, and I think it worked for her you know she uh in, in the previous issue you know where she's yelling at the the rock song executive she's like i'm the hardest person you'll ever meet you know my sex doesn't make me weak and she's just there and she's going to take down as many people as she can and and i think it was you know a really interesting choice to bring her into this i mean she hadn't been seen in a long time and to use her as you mentioned as, as an analog for the sla um was fine and kind of where he went with this was kind of interesting. Um, from the technical aspect of this book, um, I really don't like the artwork. Um, you know, we talked about you know, Saudi Cena earlier. Um, the Frank Robbins has taken over the art on this book, and it's just you know, not my cup of tea at all on that. Yeah, I forgot to mention that. So I think it's with issue 180, all of a sudden Sal Buscema's gone and Frank Robbins, of all people, takes over the art. And Robbins seems to be a sort of love him or hate him artist. I actually really like his art. However, it doesn't suit every book. You know, like, there's some books where I think he's spot on his style. I don't think this was the best fit for him. There was moments where, and we're going to get to this in the next issue, 183. Let me just jump ahead to 183, because 183 is a famous, famous issue. And in 183, what happens is Roscoe and Falcon are on patrol. They uh, There's a bank robbery, and people are putting money in the bank, and they're like, what the hell? I think this actually happens right at the end of 182. And it turns out that the, the bad guy is the Red Skull. And... So once Captain America, I mean, once Nomad, Steve Rogers gets back from his adventures fighting the Serpent Squad, he is trying to find the Falcon, but the Falcon's been missing, and he eventually tracks down Falcon and Roscoe, and it turns out that Roscoe is dead, and the Red Skull was so ticked off when he discovered that he, he there was a fake Captain America that he murdered Roscoe and just sort of hung him up as a warning. And then he beat the crap out of Falcon and left him also as a warning to, to the real Captain America. And so Cap decides that he needs to become Captain America again and become the symbol because people need the symbol. And if he doesn't, someone else, people are going to keep co-opting the symbol. Um... So he takes on the the symbol and becomes Captain America again. And the lead into this was that the art where he finds Roscoe dead by uh, Frank Robbins, you can't even really tell what the hell's going on. You can kind of guess, I guess, but it's it's not well done. I, I do like Frank Robbins' work on a lot of other books, but 
yeah, I don't think he was really a great choice here. No, it's and it's funny because the the cover shows one image of Roscoe being strung up, and the art in the book, the panel is completely different. I mean, his the orientation of Roscoe's body is off, and you just yeah, it, it's just a, such a poorly drawn panel, and you don't really understand what's going on from the art, which, I mean, in a visual medium, that's what you want. You want to be able to see what's going on. And, and here it's, yeah, it's not, not good. No, it's bad. The only way you can tell what's happening in that scene is because you've seen it on the cover. Um, but so Captain America's back, his soul searching is done, and now he's got to track down the Red Skull. This leads into Englehart's final storyline in issues 184 to 186, where Cap's back. And I got to say... I mentioned this a little bit earlier. This is by far my least favorite Englehart storyline. I like it even less than I liked the Yellow Claw storyline. It's not helped by the Frank Robbins art, but it's basically the skull is killing these guys and Cap and Falcon, they're trying to stop them, but somehow, no matter what they do, the people end up dying. And at the end, it turns out it's because the Falcon has been working for Red Skull all along. And this issue 186, Englehart's last issue, uh, with the new origin of the Falcon, is one of the biggest mistakes in the whole run of Captain America, and by far the worst thing that Englehart ever did on the book. Well, it's, it's, it's character assassination of Sam, first and foremost. But the problem I have with it is that... It's his last issue. And so you basically take this steaming dump on Sam's character, and then you walk away. And you leave that there for the next writer to have to deal with. You've taken a character who we've come to know, we've come to love. For now, it's 70 issues. You're talking 170. Yeah, about 70 issues. And everything you know about him is wrong. And he's really a, an agent of the skull. And... You know, he, he's a drug dealer and a you know, hood, and it's like, really? And now you want to walk away from it. You know, if he'd had, I, I honestly think that if Engelhart had stayed on the book and had a chance to develop it and maybe take it somewhere, who knows what the, what the opinion of the story would have been. But just to write this and slaughter Sam the way he did and then leave after that um, is just egregious. I completely agree. Uh, now, according to Englehart, he was he had plotted the story out, but he wasn't going to actually write this issue. Um, but the guy, I forget his name, who was turning the book over to, basically told Englehart he wanted Englehart to write this one himself. Ostensibly, it was because there was so much continuity being referenced that he didn't have a full handle on it. I wouldn't be surprised if the ulterior motive was he didn't want his name on this crap because, yeah, so for those who haven't read it, basically it turns out that Falcon's been working for the Red Skull all along. Not only that, but he's not Sam Wilson, the um, social worker at all. He's actually Snap Wilson, a two-bit pimp and thug who the Red Skull took and use the Cosmic Cube to create a perfect sidekick for Captain America. So he sanded off all the rough edges and made the most um, sort of Boy Scouty, you know, goody two-shoes person he could think of um, as a way to trap Captain America into liking him. And for several issues leading up to this, in the letter column, people are complaining that Falcon wasn't very interesting anymore. Something that I don't agree with, but... I can see why they were saying that because in the early parts of Engelhart's run, there was a lot of attention being paid to Falcon's personal life. And later on, he only appeared as the Falcon for a, quite a while. In, in fact, I might be wrong, but he I think he only appeared as Sam, the social worker, a couple times in the earliest issues. And after that, it was all Falcon. So I get where they're coming from. But in the letter column, the answer that Engelhardt and the editors had was that they had some 
plan in place to make Falcon much more interesting and just wait till you see it. It's going to be, it's going to be great. It's going to be a shocker. And it's just such a terrible idea. It seemed like they felt that, uh, the only way you could have an interesting black character was if it was a black exploitation, you know, character right out of shaft or dolomite or something. And that characters that are African-American, if they weren't, you know, wearing a giant fur coat um, and, and carrying a gold-plated Glock, then they weren't interesting. So they they took this great, you know, role model character, a guy who's trying to, you know, do good things for his community, and just turned him into a black exploitation cliche. It's it's boggling to me. It's just boggling. Yeah, and, and the, the, the letters, you know, complaining about, you know, the, the character being boring. I mean, first off, you know, he was second banana in the book. And I don't think, you know, we should forget that. It's, yes, it's Captain America and the Falcon, but it's ostensibly Cap's book and the Falcon's there. The second piece is, you know, really they needed to focus on Steve's issues throughout the Secret Empire and then the, the, the Man Without a Country storylines uh, because you know that was you know some, some heavy hitting stuff and I think so maybe Sam got shuffled to the back a little bit but to, to have to take this guy who was you know a uh, an upstanding citizen and, and someone who was who's trying to do right then you know when they had more of a focus on him, you know, he was constantly butting heads with, I believe it's Morgan, the, the crime boss of Harlem. Um, you have this guy who, who had a lot going for him, and then just to take that and, and completely throw that away because, um, you know, we, we need to, we need to spice it up a little bit is, is just, it was really, it's really sad to see. Um, now, now, thankfully it's, you know, was not, uh, was not long lived, but um, just, even the fact that they went there with that, to your point, and, and made him a caricature um, of, of a black exploitation character is really uh, is really uh, disheartening. And as you said, it's a really unfortunate way for Englehart to end his run on the series. Um, after this issue, Englehart left the book because he was given the opportunity to write a savage sort of Conan-style black-and-white adult magazine about Thor, uh, which never actually came out. So he basically ended his legendary run in Captain America for no reason, and instead they gave him some other title once the Thor book um, went by the boards. And uh, that was pretty much it for, for his time on Captain America. Now, he was still writing Avengers for a while, so he was writing the character of Captain America in the pages of Avengers. But this was it. On the whole, you know, when you take all, you know, 30 five issues or however many there are as a whole what do you think the the lasting impact or legacy of steve Englehart's run is yeah i think it uh i think what it did was it it laid the groundwork obviously for future stories where steve questions who he is and not as the man out of time but is he supposed to be the symbol of america you know, before this, there was never a doubt. There was never a question. It was always, I'm the, I'm the star-spangled Avenger. I'm the, the guy um, fighting for America. And this really, I think, allowed the character of Steve Rogers to have this doubt. This was the first crack in his unwavering armor. And so it wasn't just the, uh, the, the blonde-haired, blue-eyed, you know, square-jawed hero who just fought any foe on behalf of America. It was somebody who was now more thoughtful, more conscientious from that standpoint. Yeah, I think that, I mean, for me, the big legacy with Englehart is that he brought the politics back into Captain America. There's some good, you know, there's some good, even some really good Captain America issues before 153 at Marvel, but honestly, not that many of them. A lot of them are kind of just okay superhero books because there was no real point to the series. 
Englehart allowed future writers to do things with the book and with the character. He established a pattern. He reestablished the fact that this is an inherently political character. So it's okay to do stories where, you know, he runs for president or the classic Mark Grunewald storyline where he once again quit being Captain America and took on a different identity. Uh, that's one of my all-time favorite storylines. I love that storyline. And, you know, not just because it's a direct influence from this storyline, but just the idea that someone writing Captain America almost has a responsibility to address the issues facing America um, is something that, that Engelhart really put into play and I think is his lasting legacy on the series. Yeah, I mean, you wouldn't have had characters later on like Flag Smasher um, and, and folks like that, and then even the, the Watchdogs. You wouldn't have had these characters later on if, if it hadn't been for, for this. We'd have been getting more one-offs with, you know, Scorpion and, you know, oh, another Red Skull storyline. No, oh, Batroc's going to show up for a month here. And just kind of go nowhere, mean nothing issues. Um, but this, to your point, really set the standard of this book needs to be about more than just Cap punching the Red Skull month in and month out. Yeah, I mean, fighting Nazis is easy. But Nazis are not relevant these days. They weren't relevant in the 60s or 70s either. So Engelhart's simple, obvious premise is, instead of having Cap fight Nazis, let's have Cap fight things that matter today, like the SLA, you know, mm -hmm. like Watergate, you know. It's a simple idea, um, and it, for me it kind of rescued the character of Captain America and allowed him to remain relevant even to till today. I would say this. I think that it rescued his solo book because I think Steve still could have been part of the Avengers and in a team concept, he still would have worked because that's a group of heroes fighting a common foe. But from the standpoint of a solo series, without it, that wouldn't have lasted much longer because it just wasn't a relevant piece of you know, literature, as it were, in the 70s. That's it for this episode of the Classic Comics Forum podcast. I'd like to once again thank the captain for joining me for this discussion. I hope you enjoyed listening to our conversation, and I hope you'll join us next time as we once again dive into the long box of history. And as always, visit us online at classiccomics.org to join in the conversation.